The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for news information, techniques, advice, and interviews with the experts about how you can start or build your successful real estate investing business. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening at the usual location, the CAA building at on Langdon Farm Road, just off of Reading in Bond Hill. Uh, the special guest speaker is Miss Kathy Kennebrook, the marketing magic lady, who was also a guest here on the program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the early meeting is about uh, ways to use land trusts that you have never heard of before. And then the main meeting is all about direct mail marketing with Kathy. It is guest night, which means all guests attend free. You can get more information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com. In addition, Kathy is appearing tonight at Cincinnati RIA's sister organization, Greater Dayton RIA, which you can uh, also attend if you, if you can't make the Cincinnati meeting. Information about their meeting is at gdria.com, and uh, I believe is also guest night up there in Dayton tonight. So if you can't catch Kathy here in Cincinnati tomorrow, you might want to jump in your car and see if you can get to Dayton this evening. My guest tonight is one of the other wild, wonderful women of real estate investing, Miss Robin Thompson, better known as the Queen of Rehab. Robin has uh, gotten has been in real estate for a number of years now. After getting uh, downsized right out of a corporate job and deciding to risk it all on buying, fixing, and selling a property. That was like, I don't know, 300 properties ago. And for all those years, she has kept uh, rehabbing properties, kept teaching other people how to do it, and kept her finger thoroughly on the pulse of what is going on out in the rehab retail market, which is going to be our topic of discussion tonight. Joining us from her home near Orlando is Robin Thompson. Robin, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Mina. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be with you tonight. Well, uh, it is good to have you here. Uh, we like to, of course, keep track, especially in this silly market where it seems like from one quarter to the next, we don't even know what's going to happen <laughs> with prices or inventory or financing or anything else uh, with the folks who are 
uh, you know, most in touch with the various strategies, and you are certainly most in touch with the rehab retail strategy where folks like to, you know, buy houses and fix them all up for homeowners and put them uh, into those houses at top prices, not uh, bottom prices like the wholesalers like to do. So let's talk a little bit about what might have changed out there in the retailing world since the last time we talked to you about a year ago. Have you noticed any any new trends, new things that are going on? Uh, I do. I've seen the finance world start to loosen up around the United States. Uh, I've seen more new construction popping up all over the place than I've seen in the last six years since the recession hit. Uh, we're starting to turn the corner in certain parts of the country and come out of the recession, some faster than others. Um, and so what's happened is we've had a lot of influx of new investors again that say, okay, I've been sitting on the sidelines. Uh, I was scared to do anything in the recession. We've seen prices start to come up, and now everybody's flooding back in and want to learn the rehab and the wholesale game. Uh, so we have a lot of new people coming in who aren't really trained with any of the concepts they need to know to protect themselves. So uh, it's going to be interesting because we've got a lot of uh, uneducated people starting to enter back into the marketplace. Uh, that's what I see. Does so it, the groups that I am speaking to are growing very fast, but they're people that have never tried a real estate deal in their life. Um, and so that can lead to a whole host of issues, as you know. Does does every new wave of new real estate investors just have to lose money on their first three or four deals before they figure this out? It seems like we have, you and I have this conversation about every five years. Yep, all those yeah. movies jumping in, thinking they can, you know, do an entire house for $10,000, finding out it costs them thirty and <laughs> losing money. And yeah. they could have just learned to do it right in the first place. Right. Well, there's a bunch of things. Number one, they don't know how to find a high-profit deal. So, you know, the number one blunder I see most of them make is they pay too much because they really don't know any kind of buying formula or buying strategy to know what to pay for something. So they figure if they get it for two or $3,000 less than what everybody else was bidding on it, they, they got a winner, which is not always the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second big blunder that I've seen them make over again, and I know you do too, is they underestimate the repairs because they have no idea what it's going to cost to fix a house, especially an older home. I mean, you know, out of the 360 houses I've done, a lot of them were in Connecticut. They were built in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And they just get sticker shock with the price tags of what it costs to do electrical and roof and plumbing and heating. Uh, And so they miss some key elements that have to be renovated, and they don't think they're going to have to do them, and then they find out the things don't work, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to need to, so... They typically underestimate repairs anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand dollars, which is just all raw profit. It comes right out of what they should have made. And uh, I see a lot of them do houses and renovate them all and do them for free because by the time they get done with all that, there's not any profit left to be had, or they'll even lose a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pretty sad for all of us, you know, in the in the marketplace because that you know makes real estate not a fun place for most folks to be, and there isn't any opportunity for you or I to help them along the way financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, to buy the house from them, so mm-hmm. it creates a whole host of challenges. Yes, there's sure. a there's actually an article on, from CNBC.com uh, dated last week where there's a quote from the vice president of Realty Track. He says, 
Home flipping is settling into a more historically normal pattern after a flurry during the recent run-up of prices. Flippers no longer have the luxury of 20 to 30 percent annual price gains to pad their profits as the market softens. Successful flippers will need to focus on finding properties that they can buy at a discount and efficiently add value to. So well, yeah, we had we had a, a year last year where in many markets you could make the mistake of overpaying and if it you know if you held on to the property for a year it just gained value significantly mm-hmm. uh i don't happen to live in one of those markets but i understand that there were places where that happened but uh it has uh, the 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 um legs have definitely been kicked out from under that that huge appreciation that were in some markets last year. So it is back to the basics and finding the right deal at the right price and doing the right rehab. And when we come back from the break, we are going to talk about what the right rehab is, what the right house is, what the right price is. And we're going to answer your questions, listeners. If you want to give us a call at 877-772-9658. Or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Any questions that you have about buying, fixing, and selling properties profitably, today would be a great day to, to ask them. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Robin Thompson, the queen of rehab, who will be here in Cincinnati in November to keynote the Saturday uh, day of the OREA National Real Estate Summit. And that is an event that you should be at. I just dangled a participle and I hate it when I do that. That is an event at which you should be. That is an event that you should definitely attend if you are a real estate investor, landlord, or interested in becoming one. 15 speakers from all over the United States on uh, 15 different topics that uh, relate very strongly to the 2014-2015 market. We've kind of um, done our search this year and decided what, what's going to happen in the market over the next year and brought in the folks who can tell you the best ways to do those things because they are doing them themselves. And Robin, of course, is no exception to that, and uh, we are very glad to have her here on Saturday morning. You'll get to hear more about how to sign up for the conference at a discount and support public radio when you do that next week. Tune in next week. You're going to have one chance at this, folks. You've been hearing about it for weeks. You get one chance of it at it, and it's next week. So, Robin, given that... We can't we can't make mistakes now because the market looks to be flat over the course of the next uh, few years in terms of uh, you know our price is going to be going up a lot probably not. Uh, what what sort of deal are you telling people to look for these days if they're looking for something to fix and flip? Well, the first thing I'm telling people to do is look where other investors are not looking because the last thing you want to do is get in a bidding war. Um, and that's one of the things. Something easy to find on the auction websites is where everybody seems to be looking these days. And if there is a good deal that's put on there, then everybody's bidding against each other and it drives the prices up. So I've been targeting out-of-state owners who've owned the house a long time. So when somebody moves away 
and uh, they would go on for 10 years or longer, it seems like they've lost real interest in the house and they've rented it and they've been fed up with that and they would like to sell it. So I do direct mail and I heard you say Kathy Kennegerbrook's going to be there tonight. She's a great lady and direct mail is one of the great things to use to attract deals that nobody else really wants to go after. And so that's number one. So there's nobody bidding against you, which gives you the ability to take the time to do all your analysis thoroughly uh, to make sure you've got a deal and to negotiate the prices that you want. And so typically when I do that, uh, when I deal with an out-of-state owner that's had the house a long time and they've moved away and they don't want it anymore, sometimes they can provide two or three solutions to their problem. Uh, And sometimes it's all cash now and sometimes it's some cash now and some cash later and Sometimes it's cash over time, and so I can give multiple choices for them to pick. Um, and so when somebody hasn't had any offers on a house and they get multiple offers, a lot of times you give them three choices, they're going to pick one. Mm-hmm. And I don't see any other investors really doing that, at least not the seasoned investors like you and I. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say is one of the things that I've been doing lately that's had great success, and, and so I can get the house where I need it and at the price and the terms that I need it at um, without anybody bidding against me. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the big complaints that I've heard from retailers here in our local market, and you know, come to think of it, in almost every market I visited in the last year, is that there is a serious lack of MLS inventory at prices that um, at least folks who understand what they're doing can afford to pay. That the 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 things mm-hmm. that are in the decent neighborhoods that, uh, you know, can can be rehabbed and will be good houses when they're finished are going for more than they should and that there's not that many of them. So, uh, you know, we've got we've got folks here who are experienced retailers, many of whom, you know, honestly learned that from you, uh, who are who are moving toward doing marketing for the first time. Because mm-hmm. the, the, the MLS has dried up so much in, in the last year to 18 months. Um, so if we're going to market, uh, what is it that, that we're marketing for? Is there, is there a particular kind of house that, these, that our end customer, who's a home buyer, is really liking right now? Yeah. What I'm seeing being a fixed up, if you make it really drop dead gorgeous, and you know how I feel about that. I want the house to be really at the top 1% to 2% of what's for sale uh, because young buyers are picky today. The fastest moving house that I'm seeing in America today is a four-bedroom, at least a bath and a half uh, in a really good school district with a garage. That is my target. And so, you know, when I select a mailing area, I want to pick that, and I want so that's the house that 85% of the buying population want to live in, and so uh, I go after those specifically to mail to, because I know it's going to be the fastest selling house I have on the other side, because um, I look at my exit before I enter, I look at selling the house before I buy it, so I want to make sure I'm targeting those 1,600, 1,700 square feet homes or bigger, uh, who have the four bedrooms, uh, because they move faster than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not the majority, but what I can tell you is you only need two of those a month to really do a profitable real estate business. And so that's why I go after those specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, talk talk about the importance of location of these properties, because that's that's probably the number one mistake that 
that I see people making over and over again is that they buy the right house in the wrong place. Okay. One of the things I'm doing right now is I'm investing very heavily in a part of Florida called Port Orange. And the reason I picked that as an example is because their school district has been ranked in the top 100 in America uh, for the last five years straight. So when I get a house and I get it fully renovated over there and put it up for sale, it sells very, very quickly because everybody wants their children in that school district. And so for me, I target in those areas where the schools are the best, and I target not on a busy street. Um, I want to make sure I'm not in a war zone type area where there's a lot of crime and vandalism and break-in. I want to make sure I'm not targeting a small house. Uh, one of the things I learned the hard way is only 15% of the buying population wants a two-bedroom. Um, you know, 85% of the buying population wants a three-bedroom or bigger. And so, you know, the Internet has really stolen a bedroom out of a house because that's where your home office goes. So a four-bedroom house has actually become a three. And so what I do is I target the houses in uh, really good subdivision residential neighborhoods with good school districts to stay away from the other things. I don't, you know, I have nine types of houses I won't buy, and they're a small house, they're a house on a busy street, uh, stuff that is with high-tension power lines, uh, anything that's on a double yellow line road, I don't want. So all those things I stay away from because they're tough sells. I really want a four-bedroom that's in a community or on the street that's not a main drag, and I want to make sure it's got plenty of space, plenty of closets, and it must have a garage. I'm very adamant about the garage. Most young couples today have car payments between 400 and $700 a month. They do not want that car sitting outside to get snowed on. Uh, or in a hailstorm, and so those are the criteria that I use to pick the neighborhoods that I'm going to mail to, because what I know is if I get a really good deal there that I can renovate that's profitable, it's already really sold before I buy it, and that's the key. You want to make sure that you're not going to sit on the house that you rehab for four or five months, especially with the winter coming on, because it is very, very expensive for carrying costs through that time frame. So I want to target the house that's going to sell the fastest. And I want to make sure it's got a lot of square footage and closet space so that the buyer is going to walk in there and fall in love with it. Um, and so those are all the characteristics I take into consideration before I drop a letter in the mailbox to make sure that letter is going to that particular type of house and neighborhood. So when the call comes in that they are motivated, I've got the house I can buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a, a couple of weeks ago we had um, Anthony Chara uh, on here, who's actually an apartment expert, and he referenced several times that um, th- the big thing in his industry right now is people moving into the urban core, which is making, uh, of course, apartments, uh, apartment buildings much more competitive in those areas. Uh, are you seeing any students who are doing well by going into the you know the really old parts of the downtown of the city and doing? you know, kind of historical rehabs on those? My students that are doing historical rehabs are really struggling from what I see because of all the additional requirements on the renovation side uh, to comply with all the historic modifications that have to be done. And what it's doing is driving the renovation costs up very high, and a lot of times they're underestimating repairs by 20 to 30% because of all the additional guidelines. Oh, I don't have students really successful in the historic districts. I know I've done 
several of them, and every time I have, I've had budget overruns, so I pretty much marked that on my no list uh, because it's really difficult because once you start, you know, they have to approve everything, and if they decide that they want you to do things differently that weren't in the budget, you don't really have a choice. You're not going to get your certificate occupancy unless you comply to what they want. And so I have stayed away from there, and the students that I've had recently in the last year do that have not been very successful with that strategy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for you, it's all about the places where the most people want to go that are also the cheapest to rehab and don't require a bunch of jumping through hoops and, 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 which, you know, is a, is a a strategy that a lot of people would, would call uh, a a cookie cutter as near as that can be accomplished in, in retailing. I know every, every project's actually a little bit different, but I know that one of your goals is always to have the same quality of rehab and as far as possible use the same materials in every house because it's easier use the same paint colors in every house because it's easier and uh just uh you know get them get them cranked out and get them sold and make some money and move on right i mean that's one of the things the new investors entering the marketplace really does not comprehend is how expensive it is per day to carry a house that's sitting on the market for sale or a house that isn't completed its rehab process yet. I mean, most investors look at taxes, insurance, lights, water, sewer, and mortgage, and they think that's all of the costs they have. They really miss the big component, which is opportunity cost. Opportunity is cost is what would I do with the profits and the money I have invested in this house if it was sold and that money was back in my bank account? Well, what you would do is buy your next house to make another twenty-five dollars or $30,000 profit. Well, that loss, that not being able to purchase the next house because this one's not finished or this one's not sold, is true loss of opportunity. And so it's very expensive to leave money tied up in a house that you can't sell because maybe you didn't renovate it correctly or because you don't have it renovated at all because the contractors are slow. Those costs can be astronomical to the tune of like $80 a day. And so that's why, for me, I want to be able to get in and get out and collect my check and get in and get out and collect my check and do it again, not get in and get stuck, Um, because those costs add up fast. Very, very true. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Robin Thompson. We're talking about her favorite topic, which is rehabbing and reselling properties, if that's something you do or that you are interested in doing, you might want to give us a call with any questions that you might have. 877-772-9658 is the number to call, or you can send us an email with your question, askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Robin Thompson star of stage screen and radio and also the queen of rehab and she is going to be here in cincinnati coming up in uh, november at the orea national real estate summit uh you can ask any questions that you have of her today uh if whether you are maybe you're just one of those people who watches one of those shows on cable about 
flipping houses and you're wondering if it really works that way or maybe you've tried it and liked it and want to know more about it or maybe you haven't tried it and you'd like to pull the trigger and you have some specific questions you can give us a call at 877-772-9658 or you can do what Whitney did and send us an email at askvina at gmail.com uh, Whitney is here from the Cincinnati area and her question is I've heard there have been some major changes in the last year or two in FHA in terms of what the payments cost the buyers. Has Robin seen any effect on her sale prices or does she still recommend that uh, folks look for FHA buyers for her houses? Um, yes, the change that she's talking about, Vina, is the fact that they have now made PMI uh, a little bit more expensive. Uh, PMI is an insurance that's required for anybody that's putting less than 20% down. So they have increased the cost of that premium um, by about $60 a month on a $100,000 house. And so what that does is that does impact a little bit on what somebody can afford for a, for a property. Um, so that's pushed down the average house for me because I play in the $130,000 houses and under. That's pushed a $130,000 house um, to be a little bit more expensive per month. So what happens is typically if somebody was looking at 130, they can afford about 120,000 now. Um, so that has a little bit of an impact, but I still recommend FHA. The reason being is they are very lenient as far as down payment. It's three and a half percent of the purchase price. And me being the seller of the house, I'm allowed to pay all the closing costs and prepaid. So it is a very low money down program for a young couple to use. Um, so I still endorse FHA. It's one of the best programs that I think is out there um, to get my buyers qualified. They are a little bit more lenient on what they call the ratios, which basically means they can afford more with that type of loan than a conventional loan. Um, and the reason they did the changes in the premium is because of the fact we've had so many foreclosures through the recession. Um, so it is an insurance for people that put less than 20% down. Uh, I think it's settled where it needs to be for quite some time to come, so I don't think we're going to see any further changes in that, so I think we should be good. Um, and the rates are really still reasonable. They're in the very, very low 4%, so it's still a real attractive situation for your first-time buyers, and it is a fixed rate that doesn't change. So I think FHA is definitely um, going to be the way to go. And uh, the only other change that they did make is they did make the PMI premium for the life of the loan. It used to be once you got your house paid down by 20% and you had the equity, uh, the PMI dropped off. It does not anymore. It stays for the entire 30 years. They did make that change as well. Uh, so the payment is going to stay consistent. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I have to say, you know, about 95% of the people that I sell to go FHA. Um, they don't need as much down as with conventional, and they are allowed to borrow more with FHA than conventional. So that's typically the way the first young couple who's trying to buy as big a house as they possibly can will go. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, uh, you know, I think that's where most investors should really lean their buyers towards to get them qualified. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And if you have a question for Robin, again, our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. Thank you. <laughs> I only repeat that number like nine times a week. I think, yeah. 877-772-9658 or 
askvina at gmail.com. You can tell Fun Drive Week is coming up because everybody who works here is like all jumpy this week. <laughs> Just really looking forward to um, all the hard work next week. Uh, so, um, Robin, one of the things that always fascinates me about your business is you have to keep up on taste, unlike what people want in the way of kitchen cabinets and what people want in the way of carpet or hardwood paint colors uh you know do they want wallpaper now all of a sudden can you can you fill us in a little bit on uh, sort of what your first time home buyer type folks really like uh in in terms of what they see cosmetically in a house yeah, I mean, the the rage right now is the ceramic tile that looks like real hardwood. Um, and they are a great buy out there at about $1.88 foot. Um, there's the ceramic tile that looks like mahogany hardwood floors. They're porcelain tile, which are very, very tough and scratch resistant. So that's something that is a really nice upgrade that doesn't cost all that much more than linoleum or vinyl. So those are great things to do. Uh, it seems like my buyers right now are into the rustic oil bronze finish for faucets. Um, they're usually only about 4 or $5 more than a nickel or a chrome-type faucet, so we're doing those things. Uh, a deep double-bowl 70-30 sink in the kitchen's become a big hit, and if people don't know what that is, that means the one side of the sink is 70% of 100%, and then the other is 30%. So it's a small sink where people can wash their strawberries, blueberries, and that kind of stuff. And so we're seeing those kind of demands in the kitchen. Uh, we are seeing granite come back in strong demand. And, uh, you know, especially anything that's $150,000 house and up, it seems that granite is the kicker whether it sells or it doesn't sell fast. And I just had a house that I put on the market this week at 162.5. It's been up for sale three days. I did grant it, and there isn't any other house in the subdivision that has it. And so I've got an offer on the table already today to consider. And so those things, I think, are really important. Um, the kitchens and the bathrooms, obviously, are the most two popular rooms for the upgrades to be in. Uh, and I think typically for me right now, I'm spending between seven to $9,000 more in wows and upgrades and most renovators are, uh, but what's happening, my houses are selling in weeks instead of months. And I think that's really important for everybody to look at that. You know, uh, what does it really cost you to carry your home per month? It ends up being cheaper in putting the five to $7,000 a while in than it does to carry it two or three months. So, uh, you know, definitely kitchens and baths are always important. But staging now has also been some things we've seen that we need to do. Uh, and I don't do furniture, but I do, you know, potpourri and candles and bath rugs and expensive bath sheets uh, in the bathrooms, you know, really nice towel sets. And I, most of the renovators don't stage at all. So a little bit of staging, $500 worth, plus the upgrades really makes the house look like a home, not a house. Uh, and that usually gets you your offer. And what's really interesting is they usually don't negotiate much on price. You're not getting low balls. And you're typically, because they really want the house, they're coming in very close to what you're asking. Uh, like the property I have that I just put up for 162.5, I got an offer for 158 because they're afraid of losing it. And so I think those things are critical that every rehabber needs to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it really stops the buyer's remorse of them changing their mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
A uh, question here from Kim in Grants Pass, Oregon. She said maybe the first time we've ever gotten an email from Grants Ooh. Pass, Oregon. Uh, she's, uh, her question is, uh, I'm curious about how Robin gets money to do multiple projects at once. Uh, our bank is not terribly fond of giving us two loans at the same time. And in any case, it always kills me to pay the closing costs on a loan that I'm only going to hold for six months. I'm sure she's come up with some solution for this. Yeah, you know, the primary source that I used um, to grow my business is what they call private money. And it's people who have money in IRA-type investments. And so what I'm doing is basically borrowing privately. Um, and the terms are typically rate right around 6%. And then you can structure whatever payment schedule you want. Um, you know, typically I can borrow money for three years from somebody uh, at a 6% interest rate. And uh, even with some of the people that I structure, that I don't have to make monthly payments until I pay the property off. And so when you deal with a private individual or private people that you meet who have money, then you can structure those deals. Now, the question becomes, where do you find them? What I can tell you is anytime there's an IRA-type company who's doing any training at all, I go to those trainings and uh, I go with a fistful of business cards and I tell people what I do. Um, and so... I would recommend that she check into any of those type of things. And uh, that's usually where people are that have money and they don't know what to do with it. And their IRA can lend to a rehabber and earn a 6 7 8% return, whatever they negotiate. Um, you know, many times people have money sitting in the bank at 1% or less. And so it becomes a great opportunity for them that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Kim, I'm guessing your bank loves it that you pay closing costs for a loan that you're only going to have for six months and then go back and do it again and go back and do it again and go back and do it again. You should be aware that what Robin is telling you here is the way most renovators uh, are getting money today, either private money or from hard money lenders, folks like that who are not traditional banks because the ability to borrow some of the rehab money is very important and the ability to not have to for you know the appraisals and the closing costs and all that sort of stuff each time every six months is a huge advantage and goes the money goes into your pocket which is always good uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm talking today to Robin Thompson, the queen of rehab. You can ask your questions at 877-772-9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. Today, I have one of the top experts in the rehab retail business in the country, because not only does she do them herself, she travels around and teaches other people to do them a lot, which means she has sort of her fingers on the pulse of the entire country in terms of what is happening in that particular piece of the business. Um, Robin, tell us what you're seeing uh, in terms of reselling these properties. Uh, I know that you you in the past have been a a big fan of finding a really, really good, high-performing real estate agent to list the properties. Uh, I also know that I'm starting to uh, see that that things like Zillow and you know the, the the Craigslist and the various 
online sites where people can list their own houses are making enough waves that they're actually angering the realtor community. So are you still are you still in favor of going straight to the real estate agent when you have your house ready to sell or are you are you recommending to people that they try it on their own for a little while and why? Well, I'm still using realtors, Vina, but I do that in a somewhat restricted capacity because I don't want to deal with the whole entire realtor public. What I've realized is 80% of the houses are moved by 20% of the realtors. And uh, what I do is I pick the two or three best-selling realtors in that particular development or subdivision, and I give them a 10-day head start to look at my house as we're finishing the rehab. Because top-producing selling realtors typically have between five to eight approved, not pre-approved and not pre-qualified, but approved buyers in their pocket. And so typically they already have the house sold. If you've got a really beautiful house you're putting out on the marketplace and it's in really gorgeous condition. So what I do is as we're having the carpets installed and we're cleaning the house and all that, I call the top two or three and say, hey, do you want to come over and preview the home and let me know if you have a buyer for it? Uh, and I let them know there's more than one that's getting to preview the house. So they understand that he who brings buyer first is going to get paid. And so typically between the two or three of them, I just tell them, if you bring me a full-priced offer on the on the property, I'll give you a 4.5% commission, not 3 Because typically, you know, when you list a house for sale with somebody for 6%, the person who puts it up for sale gets 3%, and the person that sells it gets 3%, which equals 6 well, the selling realtor only gets three. And so I'm actually offering them 50% more for them to just sell it without their needing to be a listing agent. And so I give them 10-day head start. And I said, look, you know, I'm not ready to decide who's going to get this, who's going to get it listed. But if you've already got it sold and you show it to somebody that you know that wants it and they've got their mortgage already approved, then I'm willing to give you a very good paycheck for that. And so that moves about 70% of my properties without them ever officially having to go through the realtor community to get listed and get put out there for everybody to see. Um, the danger when it goes out for all the realtors, even the new ones, a lot of them don't know how to pre-qualify a buyer and how to make sure they're mortgageable. And the last thing you want to do is have your house come off the market with somebody who can't afford it or can't, who doesn't have the credit who, to close on it. Um, and then you're stuck putting it back up for sale over and over and over again. So I only want to deal with a few realtors. I want to deal with the ones that sell over 50 houses a year. Uh, I don't want to deal with the beginners who don't have any idea how to get a buyer through a mortgage process because that's a very scary thing. Uh, I see a lot of newbie realtors take houses off the market and they never close, and that angers the seller. And that's part of the reason the Craigslist stuff has been in such high demand lately is you know, you have a lot of sellers who houses they thought were sold and then they don't close and then they don't want to go through that again. So they're trying it on their own uh, and they don't really know how to do it either. So I want somebody who has buyers who are already approved. Somebody who's been through the mortgage process, they've turned in their cases and their bank statements and their tax returns and they're sure the buyer can buy. Those realtors are the ones I want to work with. And that's a very limited, limited portion. And we just received an email from Paula, who's from Solon, Ohio. She says, uh, Robin just said something that has always confused me, and I would like to get some sort of an answer about it. What is the difference between pre-approved and pre-qualified? Really nothing. To me, they equal toilet paper. Approved 
100% approved is what you want. Approved means they've turned in four pay stubs, two bank statements, last year's tax returns, all schedules, and there's been a tri-merge from all three of the credit bureaus, not a single credit bureau, a tri-merge credit report has been pulled on the buyer and they have been put through a computer program. That means approved. So when a buyer turns in pay stubs, bank statements, tax returns, and they get a tri-merge pulled, that can get you a 100% approval. And Vina, honestly, that is a half-hour process for a loan officer. So pre-approval means that they basically, over the phone, told the loan officer what they make and where they work. And they go on that over-the-phone information without verification. That is pre-approval, pre-qualified. Approved means they've actually seen all the documentation and they've run a tri-merge credit report and they've crunched the numbers and they're all set. I want approved. I don't want pre-qualified or pre-approved. Mm-hmm. So they don't really mean anything. And what you do is if you do get a pre-qualification or a pre-approval letter, look at it and read it. They tell you, well, it's they're pre-approved contingent upon income, asset, and credit. That means they haven't looked at anything. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't really mean anything except ink on a paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so there you go, Paula. There is a there is not an important difference between pre-approved and pre-qualified, but there is between pre-approved and actually approved. <laughs> so, um, well, you, and you, know, you just have to ask yourself, why would the buyer not want to turn all the documents in? You know, if they really are in love with the house and they want the house, they should rush to turn all the documents in. So you've got to ask yourself, if they're not turning in paperwork, why is that? Mm-hmm. And so you want to get to the bottom of that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, you have about uh, eight minutes here, ladies and gentlemen, to ask any other questions that you might have of Robin Thompson. The number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. If you want to take the risk on it getting through the interweb to our email address here, you can send it to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Now, Robin, I know that you uh, work primarily now in the in the Florida markets or the central Florida area. Uh, you came out of Connecticut, which is, uh, you know, an, an East Coast older houses uh, kind of market. Uh, what are you seeing with your students here in the Midwest region, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana? What what sorts of things are they having successes with? What's kind of the average uh, amount of money that they're able to make on a on a flip if they have done it right? What they're typically making, Rena, is between fifteen. 20% of what the house is worth fixed up is where they're shooting for. And so if the home's going to be a $100,000 house when it's finished, they should be looking to make about eighteen to 20000 is what most of them are doing. Um, and that's pretty much standard around the country. The one thing about the housing stock being older in the central part of the country is, you know, they've got to be a little bit more savvy on really estimating repairs correctly. Um, because of the age of the items that that are there. Um, and so as long as they really understand what it costs to do a roof and a heating system and electrical, uh, they're, they're usually hitting those 15 to 20% numbers on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and and again, uh, key to that being both the uh, ability to estimate the repairs correctly, and of course the ability to estimate the uh, fixed up value of the house correctly, mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, is is another thing that I'm hearing from a lot of uh, well, just real estate investors in general uh, when they're when they're going into some of these neighborhoods that are truly first time home buyer type houses. Uh, but there have been a number of foreclosures in right. the, in those areas, and and you know they'll they'll come and they'll say, well, I've got I've got some houses here that sold for like 120 or 130, and I've got some others that sold for 70 or 80, and I'm afraid that my buyers are going to look at the 70 and 80 and not the 120 and 130. So how do I know how to value this house? Do you, do you have any words of wisdom for folks who are dealing in areas like that? Yeah, well, one of the things I want, Vina, is sold properties only, and I want the MLS information on the sold. And the, one of the reasons I only use the MLS and not Zillow or anything else to use my estimates is when I have a sold property and it was in the MLS, I can see typically anywhere from 15 to 22 pictures mm-hmm. of the property that's sold. And so for me, when I have a house fully renovated, it's drop-dead gorgeous. Everything's new, the bathrooms, the kitchens, and so forth. And so if I look at the foreclosure properties and they're dirty uh, and the carpets are very much worn and there's doors missing off the kitchen cabinets, that house to me is not anything comparable to what I'm going to produce for the marketplace. So I discount that completely and don't even look at it. I want to pick the five houses that were in the best condition in the similar price range of where I think I'm going to be releasing my house for sale. And if all of those are in gorgeous condition and that's what type of property I'm going to put out, then I can be rest assured I've got enough sold to justify my appraisal when it's time for my house to be put through the mortgage process for the buyer. Um, It's rare that the foreclosures are in great shape. Um, Most of them are pretty beat up. And so I don't want to use those as as comps for what I'm going to produce. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, Robin, we are out of time for the show. We do look forward to seeing you here in November when I know you're going to have a whole presentation with pictures and the whole nine yards. So uh, we're glad you're coming. We want to encourage listeners to tune in next week so that they can get signed up for that, uh, both at a discount and while supporting public radio. And we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.